0: it's time to take the quiz five questions five minutes a day five days a week
1: take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did play share and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox
2: live from the fox news radio studios in new york city fresh off the set of fox and friends it's america's receptive voice Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 Appreciate everyone coming in and, uh, and listen to the show again. And I'm sorry I missed you over the last two days, but we have a lot to discuss. Nothing can slow down. Dave McCormick, one of the big surprises of his primary season, GOP candidate for Senate in Pennsylvania, actually leading Dr. Oz right now, former CEO of Bridgewater, and um, former, uh, you know, obviously, a West Point grad, served in the military. Dave McCormick will be with us. And then Rich Lowry takes on this whole uh, Joe Biden situation, how he's been insulated by the press until recently. And we look into that mystery. And, of course, take your calls at 1-866-408-7669. So let's get to the Big Three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big
4: Three. Number three.
5: 7,000 a day is not sustainable. It overwhelms the communities in Texas, Arizona, that have to absorb this population. It overwhelms Catholic charities. It overwhelms the Border Patrol and ICE and their ability to keep up. And obviously... It overwhelms the Biden administration politically.
3: Really? Another Republican ranting about the border? What's new? Wait, it's not a Republican? It's Jay Johnson, former uh, HHS uh, secretary? Are you kidding me? Homeland Security secretary, I should say. Jay Johnson sees a border crisis like we've never seen before in our lives about to get worse with the evaporation of of uh, Title 42 because it was put in place during the pandemic. And so far, more than just Joe Manchin on the left is standing up to say, President Biden, you cannot let that happen. Number two.
6: The president is confident that his uh, family did the right thing. But again, I want to just be really clear. These are actions by uh, Hunter and his brother. They're private matters. They don't involve the president. And they certainly are something that no one at the White House is involved in.
3: Exactly. Of course, it's just his son and his brother. Why would the president be involved in that? Hunter and Durham blowing up years too late but too important to ignore. On the Biden front more evidence that Joe knew all along about these business deals and benefited from them. We know what's going there and Durham probes seeing how Hillary's gang used the media and perhaps the FBI to try and destroy Donald Trump. Number
1: one. Ukrainian prosecutors say that they're investigating nearly 4,500 alleged war crimes by Russian troops. And Ukraine's prosecutor general says they want to, quote, punish the monsters who are responsible.
3: Yes, and they are just that. A slow, slow rolling holocaust, which is how I describe what we are all seeing as Russians rolling out of the capital region of Kiev in Ukraine and looking to, to consolidate the south and east. The Western aid and American leadership are fast in promises, but slow in delivering, and people are dying the most horrific ways possible. Yesterday, President Zelensky addressed the United Nations, and basically said, "Just, just disband if you're not going to kick Russia off the Security Council. So you know the major powers of the world have ultimate veto over any motion. Cut one.
0: The Russian military and those who gave them orders must be brought to justice immediately for war crimes in Ukraine. Anyone who has given criminal orders and carried out them by killing our people will be brought before the tribunal.
3: We hope, but they should be kicked out now. But just so you know, think about this. When you see Children shot point blank as 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 young as five years old. When you see emblazoned in dead bodies, a Nazi sticker put there by Russian troops that are fleeing. When you see the mayor and her family gunned down and buried in the front of what I guess would be the mayor's house in a city outside Kiev. When you see so you've heard all those investigations on on these catastrophic war crimes. Now you find out the Russia's doing cyber attacks. So they're increasing on Ukraine's critical infrastructure. They're blowing up methane gas tanks. These are all things done by barbarians, not people worthy of a modern fighting force. But that is Vladimir Putin. Anytime someone hands you a reset button, so let's—I could be friends with him, Hillary Clinton. You're wrong, Donald Trump. Hey, listen, he's an authoritarian guy. We don't rule like that, but I respect the fact that he loves this country or whatever you want to say. Nothing's good about Vladimir Putin. He's as evil as evil gets. Every time we do something that says we're going to meet you halfway, he looks at his weakness and goes goes halfway further towards his ultimate goal, and that is to reconstitute the Soviet Union, which is not going to happen because his military can't do it. So I just told you and you just heard the investigations are by the thousands of Ukrainian civilians being murdered in cold blood, yet still— The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff has this prediction cut three.
7: Short of uh, the commitment of U.S. military forces into Ukraine proper, um, I'm not sure he was deterrable. This has been a long-term objective of his um, that that goes back years. I think that uh, NATO, uh, the United States, Ukraine, and all of the uh, allies and partners that are supporting Ukraine are going to be involved in this for quite some time.
3: That's just not true. It can't happen. There's going to be no Ukrainians left. They win every fight, but it's the civilians that are in the line of fire. The Russians level every city. They have no skill. They have no experience. They don't even have a battle plan. But they have bombs, and what you do is the Ukrainians can't get to get to them because they're far away. You got to get them tanks. You got to get them planes, and you got to give them the drones you promised. These uh, these uh, these suicide these kamikaze drones that can hover over a target, find it, and then it blows itself up. They already have the name of the commander. It's unpronounceable for me uh, that they're going to be able to hunt down to find out who did this thing, um, who did uh, the Butcher Abucha, the commander leading there, that genocide that we all took place. Blackened bodies. People obviously burned alive, shot in the back of the head, hands tied behind their back. They were tortured before they were killed. That's what the Russians do. That's what Vladimir Putin does. Just because he doesn't wear fatigues, he wears a suit, doesn't mean he's not just as evil And we are having General Milley again say, well, this is going to go on for a while. No, you have to stop something. Can you possibly do something about this? you got the finest military in the world, the best intelligence in the world. Go in there. Don't be afraid of the strength that America supports. The other big story is what's going on with Hunter as well as the Durham report. And I'll tell you, this is astounding to me. It's astounding to me that the revelations keep going further, that Washington Post, New York Times, other outlets are reporting that Hunter's laptop is real, that the emails show a guy that was doing international deals with America's enemies, financing the Belt and Road program, which is looking to undermine American interest, getting into investment accounts in these investment firms that are help paying for that with Chinese executives. This is un-American let alone uh, likely illegal. But Hunter Biden did this with Joe Biden, his uncle, Joe Biden's brother, doing these deals on the Biden name. Nobody would hire a guy who has a huge drug problem, get kicked out of the military, has a law degree, and no financial success if his last name wasn't Biden and his dad wasn't vice president of the United States. Nobody has to tell you that. Nobody has to tell the Washington Post and New York Times that. So now you have Hunter Biden with this new story. That Joe Biden, then vice President, wrote of recommendation to his business, Chinese business partners for his Chinese business partner's son to get into Brown, NYU and Cornell. Think about this. By the way, they didn't get it. Joe Biden doesn't know anything about his business deals, but would you write a letter here? Joe Biden doesn't know anything about his business deals, but they were golfing with his business partner, Devin Archer, who's, I think, staring at prison right now. But we know nothing about it. Joe Biden, like, I don't know, Joe, uh, Joe Biden's brother Jim. What do they do? Just play horseshoes when he goes to Delaware? Hey, Jim, what do you do for a living? Oh, you trade on my name? Don't want to hear any details. Oh, and if you really want to find out and pursue this, you got Tony Bobolinski sitting in the background who says he's the big guy that got 10%. And you got this guy, Galar. This is in writing. James Galar to Tony Bobolinski. Email. Don't mention Joe being evolved. only when we're face-to-face. I know you know that, Tony, but they are just being paranoid. This is where it's leading. So this latest email has this. as um gentlemen, please find the attached resume of my son, Chris Lee. He is applying for the following colleges, Brown University, Cornell, and New York University. So that was obtained by Fox News Digital. and It was actually in, according to Miranda Devine's laptop from Mel. Uh, Jonathan. Hunter asked me to send you a copy of this recommendation letter that he asked his father to write on behalf of Christopher for Brown. The original is being FedEx to Dr. Paxson directly at Brown. It should be there by Tuesday at the latest. Let us know if you have any questions. Best Eric. So all these Chinese nationals from these business people undermining American interests are in getting their kids to go to the best universities because they pay cash. And they want good relations with China. When we come back, Dave McCormick on this did a lot of business in China with Bridgewater. He is leading Dr. Oz right now in the primary to be the Republican nominee. And it's going to be a tough battle. Whoever gets it. Uh, 22 to 16 over Dr. Oz. Uh, Dr. Oz is also a favorite here. Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour. This is a big show. So glad you're here. one 408 Don't move.
1: Don't
2: go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What do you say the
5: Democrats
3: about the midterms? you So if he just so you heard that, Barack Obama goes to the White House first time since he uh, greeted Donald Trump there. And he went back yesterday and as he was leaving, someone said, What should the mess democratic message be for the midterms? You have a good story to tell. Tell the story. Just tell it. Is that true? Let's ask David McCormick, GOP candidate for the Senate in Pennsylvania, to replace Pat Toomey, currently leading Dr. Oz by a few points in these early polls, as it gets set for a primary. Uh, David McCormick, welcome back.
8: Hey, Brian. How are you?
3: So how do you feel about – the, the Democrats have a good story to tell? They just have to tell it?
8: It's, I think that's delusional. I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to imagine a worse story. I mean, if you look at economic data, you know, we have a 40-year high in inflation. Uh, that's killing working families and uh, and elders on fixed incomes and small businesses. We have a, an energy crisis where we've made ourselves energy dependent, and that's uh, led to a huge increase in uh, gas prices, which is affecting all Americans as part of the driver of inflation. And then, of course, we have an open border, which is creating uh, not only a crisis on the border, but in, in states like Pennsylvania, it's creating a huge uh, burden on our, our social services. It's a main contributor to the fentanyl crisis. We're the worst state in the country in terms of fentanyl deaths, fentanyl abuse, and, uh, and it's also leading to a big spike in crime. So that record, um, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for the Democrats to defend that record in the midterm elections. And I think uh, we need to fight on ideas because we've got great ideas. President Trump's uh, America First agenda delivered great results in all those areas I just described, and uh, the Biden agenda – and the Biden leadership has been disastrous. In fact, this isn't a ideology. This is literally the result of those terrible policies.
3: So, um, in, to replace Pat Toomey, it's always going to be tough because we know that Pennsylvania's the ultimate purple state. Your goal was to go to all these all the counties uh, in the state. How's that going? It's going pretty well. I'm, I, we've
8: got sixty-seven counties. I'm, I'm well into the fifties. I'm not sure what the exact number is. And uh, you know, I've I've been doing this for the last couple of months. I've put about twenty thousand miles. Uh, on my Ford pickup, and uh, it's been great. And I, you know, every everywhere I go, I, I go to local diners and VFWs and fire halls, and uh, and I ask people what's on their mind, what are their big issues, and and those three that I just talked about uh, come up over and over again. People are worried, um, they're angry, they feel like the country's slipping away. Um, not only these bad policies, but also, you know, the wokeness they see, see uh, it in their. Schools, they see it in business, they see it in the military, and the political correctness and the cancel culture, and uh, and people are really seeking leadership uh, to get things turned around. So uh, not only in this uh, midterm, but which of course uh, I'm 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 applying for the job to be uh, to be the person that represents them in the Senate, but also in 2024. And uh, I think it's uh, I think it's an, it's a moment. Where the country's seeking uh, direction, and um, it's really a privilege to be able to run.
3: Dave, the other thing is uh, we might be looking at a recession. You were there working with Hank Paulson right after 2008 when things started falling apart to try to put things together. And Larry Summers has been some, uh, one of the people, Democrat, Treasury Secretary under Obama, who said inflation started with a rescue plan. And he's really worried about a recession coming this year. What do you think, with your knowledge, and what could the Fed be doing uh, to help, if anything, avoid recession?
8: Well, when when the Biden administration is going out there and, and saying how great the economy is, um, the reason that the polls are so bad for Biden, the reason nobody believes that, is what's happening in real terms is that inflation, so the rise in prices is going fa- is growing faster than the economy and and real wages. So for for everyday Americans, what they're feeling is a worse economy, not a better economy, and they know it. And so um, so we're we're facing a really challenging moment. The the inflation that we have is a result of, uh, of three things. It's a result of overspending under the Biden administration, a huge surge in spending that has taken place. And, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan has all these temporary programs that uh, that uh, Biden talks about. But Ronald Reagan had this great line about that. There's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. And so we've created new spending that's driving inflation. The energy policies that made us overnight a net importer of energy. We're, we're blessed in America, but also in Pennsylvania, with incredible natural gas reserves, some of the cleanest energy in the world. And the, uh, the regulations and the uncertainty that the Biden administration has created right. has driven up gas prices, and that's the second big driver of inflation. And then, of course, the Federal Reserve has been Um, Easy too long. There was a moment that they could have begun to raise uh, rates when the economy started to turn around and and they were very slow to do that. And so you need to reverse all those policies. You need to essentially stop the the, uh, reckless spending. Uh, You need to reverse our energy policies and get back to America first energy policies. Which brings me to this,
3: David. Here's the other thing that today uh, BP Chevron, Exxon and Shell are going to Capitol Hill and they have to explain how, uh, according to Democrats, they are gouging the American public. Are they the bad guys in this oil and uh is they the reason why the average gallon of gas is
8: 4.22? It's absolutely the byproduct of bad policies uh, uh led by the Biden administration that they are now trying to shift the blame to the energy companies to Putin and it, and the the answer lies in the mirror. They need to look in the mirror. What they did was in pursuit of of, of climate uh, change and, uh, and, and ending climate change or the risk of climate change as the primary goal, they, they uh, essentially deprioritized everything else, economic growth, energy jobs. And, uh, and the great irony, Brian, is in one year, they made us less secure in the world because they made us dependent and they made Europe dependent on Russia. They hurt our energy economy, and we're seeing that in the rise of prices and the energy workers, and they hurt the environment because the natural gas reserves we have in Pennsylvania right. and America are far cleaner than anything that we're importing from Russia. Right now there's tankers in Boston Harbor with Russian uh, natural gas and oil uh, supporting the northeast of America. It's, it's absolute madness. And we need to reverse those policies.
3: 20 seconds left. General Milley yesterday said this should be a long war. You, there won't be any Ukrainians left if this is a long war. They're just killing civilians. This is a modern-day Holocaust. 20 seconds. David, you're a military guy, West Point grad. What would you do?
8: Well, listen, we've been slow. The Biden administration has been slow in every, in every step. We wouldn't be here without the weakness of Biden in Afghanistan and energy policy. We need to give as much lethal aid as possible. Tanks? Uh, to the Ukrainians. They can defend them so they can defend themselves. They've been courageous. Uh, they've been great fighters, and I think uh, they have Russia on their back foot. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so we should have done that a lot sooner, but that's the key, is helping them, enabling them to fight this battle with all the best technology we have.
3: Dave McCormick, thanks so much. Best of luck in your run for the Senate seat. You lead uh, Dr. Oz by six uh, in the Free Beacon poll, the Fox News poll by nine, and overall uh, just under two. It's going to be a, a two great candidates. Thanks so much.
6: We'll be
2: A radio show like no other.
6: It's Brian Kilmeade. Uh, Neither the president or any of us at the White House have had any contact with the Justice Department about that. Is the president confident Hunter Biden didn't break the law? Uh, Of course the president's confident that his son didn't break the law. Uh, But most importantly, uh, as I said, that's a matter that's going to be decided by the Justice Department, by the legal process. It's something that no one at the White House has involvement in.
3: Really? Okay, we'll see. Uh, There's no way they can hold it off for even in this White House with this climate and with this compliant media, I don't think Rich Larry uh, is the uh, is the man in charge. In National Review, the editor of it, he has the case of nationalism. Uh, his book is still out there. And Rich, I I mean, it, how the heck can the media hold off the linkage of Joe to Hunter and his brother's doings?
9: Yeah. So Hunter and Jim, Hunter's uncle, Joe's brother. I mean, this was their business. The family business was trafficking on the Biden name and on political connections. And, you know, the Washington Post story on CEFC, this Chinese firm that gave Hunter and, and Jim $5 million, we really didn't learn anything new. We already knew this from the laptop a year and a half ago. But still, if you focus in on it and think about it, it's stunning. This is basically an arm of Chinese intelligence and chinese influence. That was created by the, the Chinese state, and it goes around the world uh, trying to make inroads and win influence for the Chinese government. And, and they were paying the Biden family millions of dollars. It's shocking. It's jaw-dropping. It'd be dominating every news outlet if, if Trump were caught in anything
3: like oh, these, my these similar circumstances. Yeah, I mean, because I'm going to segue to the dorm report in a second, which is the new revelation show. So, Rich, here's the thing. You are looking at the president's son and the president's brother, dealing with the CEFC, who is a Chinese firm linked to the government, who's doing work for the Belt and Road Program, which is a way for China to gain influence Uh of bootstrapped – of strapped nations who desperately need infrastructure or some financial help. China goes in there and redoes their airport, takes care of their cities. They'll build their trains and then says when you can't pay them, they take those assets and they get influence. How the heck can Hunter Biden claim to be an American and look to finance this obscene movement by China to upend America?
9: Yeah, absolutely, and you know what, what? Alarm bell. Other alarm bells. Do you need other than the fact that you meet with the guy and the, after your first meeting, what he does is send you a, a 2.8 carat diamond, right? This is like this is a mafia way of of doing business, and um, and you know there's suggestions that Joe was in on it. You know was going to get a, a, a cut and credible. Um, uh, testimony through Bob Olinsky, this, this credible guy who has brought in the structure of this deal, that he met with Joe Biden twice, you know? So why isn't that a five-alarm fire in the media? Why, why isn't everyone desperate to know what the, the truth is? And it's just it, it beggars belief that Joe had no idea how his son and his brother were making money and making millions of dollars.
3: Rich, you run journalists most of your life. You'll have columnists, journalists— That's really what you've done. You've sat at tables from Meet the Press this week at George Stephanopoulos, Fox News Sunday, and you say, this is where the story's going. They stopped this story like a brick wall, anything that could link to the president. Here's an example. Nora O'Donnell, CBS anchor, barely holding on to her job, and refusing to ask a question to the president's sister. Listen
7: to this.
1: I believed that 2020 would be a bloody battle the former president, would stop at nothing. And the best way to go after Joe would be go after the family. By the way, where's Hunter? My expectations were exceeded. But Joe said, I'm, I'm doing it.
10: She writes Joe was the right person at the right
1: time to lead our country. The campaign had practiced that Vice President Biden wouldn't Respond wouldn't take his bait. He You're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question Why because. You that because question? But then he told him to shut up. Yeah. Would you Who shut up, man? So there's a time and a place, and it was like enough. I was really thrilled. I don't speak for the American people, but I think most, many of them said, "Yeah, this is a bully. Stop."
3: Okay. Uh, <laughs> Rich, if she was working for you and she came back with that interview, what would you say? <laughs> yeah.
9: I remember Roger once telling me, you know, you gotta, you gotta, uh, you gotta ask the question. You know, end of the day, you gotta ask the question. in, in other words, if you're even with a sympathetic uh, politician you're, you're talking to, and there's some news story about them, and you know, you're not into the news story, you still gotta ask the question. And she never asked the question. The whole narrative, of course. About how nasty Trump was to focus on Hunter, and how great it was that Biden told him to shut up. You know, I I don't know. I didn't see the whole segment. Maybe they celebrated Biden lying uh, about the laptop as well and saying it was Russian disinformation. It's just crazy. Now, sometimes, Brian, the press on these kind of scandal stories, eventually something will kick in and they will hold a Democrat to account and they'll get you know really into it. They did with the 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 Clinton Monica Lewinsky Lewinsky story. You know, that was kind of too good to ignore. so maybe eventually the, the the switch will flip here, but there, there's there's no sign of it.
3: So there's so many different ways to go here. For example, what happens now? You want to probe. So an indictment could be coming from this Delaware grand jury. The Washington Post and New York Times admits the laptop is real. Uh, the other networks do the same thing. Now an indictment could be coming. And then you wonder what's going to be next, which brings up is the attorney general – equipped and able to be dispassionate in seeing if the president of the United States is actually linked to this, which leads us to this statement from Lindsey Graham and others. Cut 16.
9: The bottom line is, did they monetize the vice presidency, right? Isn't that the question? Mm -hmm. Did his family, did his son basically take the benefit of the office and enrich themselves? And I think, to be honest with you, if you believe the laptop is true, There's credible evidence that that may have occurred. But why don't we get a new set of eyes to look at that? If you believed a special counsel is necessary to investigate the Trump family, how could you not believe that a special counsel is necessary to investigate
6: the Biden family?
3: I don't think in a million years he does it. But what do you think is going to happen here if people start, maybe Tony Bobulinski pops up on ABC? And he says, of course, though, Joe Biden knew. Here are the two meetings that we had face to face. These are the emails that show that he was getting 10 percent of that money. Here's the email of Hunter talking to his daughter saying, I will never do to you what Pops makes me do for him.
9: Mm-hmm. Yeah, supporting the whole family. So. There 'll be pressure, I just think, especially after the Mueller fiasco, no side is ever going to agree for a special counsel on itself I again I mean prior to Mueller it was everyone knew this was bad news and will destroy you destroy your administration so i 'm with you i just don't don 't see any way they they possibly go down that road and what what the road they 're on now, I think is a way to kind of sanitize the whole thing. You have the DOJ actually. Actually, it, it's investigating. You know, there's an ongoing investigation. There's a grand jury, and you get indictment of Hunter on a, a tax matter. I mean, that seems pretty obvious. He wasn't, you know, his life was a disaster. Unfortunately, he wasn't keeping up with his taxes. And then you say, look, justice has been served. This has been fair. We've been able to investigate our own people, the pr- the president's son. Uh, nothing to see here. Let's move on.
3: Would you really? I mean, a couple of things. Hunter Biden's two decisions behind the scenes. He's pushing his dad to run for president. Now, any logical person not on crack and addicted to hookers might say the worst thing that happened to me and my international dealings would be for more scrutiny to be on my dad. OK, mm-hmm. obviously. And then he writes a book about it and he writes a book about all these things and he does a book tour and inviting people. He feels so impervious, knows there's an investigation going on. He goes, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go do this book tour. Yeah. Right. So I, and then goes in your face with this dumb art career yeah. where obviously people are overpaying for influence to his dad, but it's almost as if saying, it's almost like Al Capone saying, you're not going to get me. John Gotti saying, you can't, you, you give it up. I'm sitting mm-hmm. right here and you can't, you can't touch me.
9: Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. You'd think that you what you want to do is uh, go away, work for a nonprofit, do some good works, you know, <laughs> and, and and just stay out of the way. But um, again, this is this is what their their family has has done. They they've trafficked on on the the name. It's part of the family business. Part of it, big part of it is elected politics for Joe Biden and then falling in the trail is all the, the buck raking. And maybe, you know, maybe personally you give Hunter a pass because he's a, a personal disaster and has this terrible addiction. But what's the excuse of Jim Biden? Joe's brother, you know, and maybe Joe, you know, just wanted to look the other way from his, his, the train wreck of his, his son's personal life. But then again, what's the excuse with not knowing about his, his brother and how his brother was making a, a living for decades. So it's thanks to high heaven.
1: Right. The other
3: thing is um, everyone listening to me right now, probably as somebody they know or directly was uh, addicted to something, whether it's gambling, alcohol or drugs, the last thing you want to do to people with trying to overcome addiction which he freely says he was, we have pictures, is put them in high-stress situations. What type of father, and I mean this, what type of relative would put him in these high-stakes positions where his partners are getting arrested and disappearing, Mm -hmm. knowing that he is one bad decision away from doing crack and ending up in some unsavory situation, possibly compromising the entire family? I mean, how is that a line of thought?
9: Is a lot of ready cash. You know, who's yes. that, uh, great that? great slugger for the Texas Rangers. You know, t- ten years ago or so ago, uh, won, won the um, home run derby at Yankee Stadium. I know he hit like 25 straight homers, and he had a terrible addiction problem. And he, Josh and he Hamilton. Leave. Yeah, he, he would he would leave uh, his hotel room with making sure he had no cash. Right, because he couldn't trust himself. So, what do you do if you have that kind of problem, and you're getting free diamonds, and and uh, people are wiring hundreds of thousands of dollars to your your bank account? It's 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 bound to be a train wreck.
3: I'm going to try to explain this as simple as possible. I am I'm one of those guys that gets confused at James Bond movies. I don't even know what they're talking about, like the knowing glance. I'm always like, what are they doing? So, <laughs> I'm going to try to explain this to the most the easiest way possible. If you pick up the New York Post today, it's pretty obvious. There was a there was an indictment of this guy Michael Sussman, and everyone on the other channels MSNBC goes, "What kind of who cares about Michael Sussman?" Well, who is Michael Sussman? Michael Sussman's working with the Perkins Coie law firm, who is representing, who is representing uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign as well as the DNC, which are one and the same because Debbie Wasserman Schultz left the DNC bankrupt. Hillary came in and bailed it out. So Michael Sussman, without telling the FBI that he works for Clinton called up James Baker, the FBI, and goes, Guys, I'd like to come in tomorrow. And we find this email. And the email backs up exactly what the indictment says. It's almost like an audio recording. So he says to him, and uh, I'll read it exactly. Uh, it says, The night before the defendant met with the general counsel, the defendant conveyed this, the same lie and sent the following test message to the general counsel's personal cell phone. Um, Durham wrote in his filing. He writes this. He writes, uh, hey, this is Michael Sussman. I have something time-sensitive—this is who he's writing to the FBI now—time-sensitive and uh, time sensitive and sensitive I need to discuss. Do you have availability for a short meeting tomorrow? He's asking for a meeting with the FBI. I'm coming on my own, dash, not on behalf of a client, dash, or a company, dash. Want to help the Bureau, thanks. He goes to the Bureau and says, this is Alpha Bank, Russia Bank, and Trump have these unsavory connections— and he's candidate Trump. He's about to win the election. It's October. They got these connections. I just want to say I'm a good citizen and I found this Alpha Bank connection in the street and I just want to give it to my buddy James Baker. And I don't represent Hillary Clinton when reality he does. What does that mean? So Baker gets his story, looks and goes, well, this is interesting. I'm going to look into this. Well, guess what else uh, he does? Sussman somehow gets this. This is being cycled about by people like Jake Sullivan, now in the government, to different media outlets like Slate and others to say, look at this story. Isn't this kind of big? Slate runs with it. So now it's in the media. Mm-hmm. It's being pushed by the Hillary Clinton camp through Jake Sullivan. Hillary Clinton retweets the Jake Sullivan story about the Alpha Bank connections. The FBI actually turns up in some stories saying they are investigating some links to this Russia. Gov, this Russia bank and Trump, and next thing you got a Russia scandal on the eve of an election Mm -hmm. that only heats up after the election as they start giving more and more so-called leaks about fictional stories of Trump links to Russia. Trump's not helping by making kind comments about Vladimir Putin, which plays this scenario. So you end up with Jeff Sessions fired, fired, but originally removed, recused himself, a special counsel impaneled, And for two years, not only does Donald Trump suffer, but America suffers on a fake Russia scandal perpetrated by Hillary Clinton. That's what Durham is pursuing. And I think it's important that people understand it. Did I convey that in a pedestrian way? (laughs)
9: really well. I can't can't prove on, on that. What's the time sensitivity in October? Right. Yep. Really, if there, there's an ongoing Alpha Bank situation, really it can't be you know investigated uh, a couple months later. It has to be investigated in October, and then talk of just about black and white evidence of the crime, which misrepresenting himself to the the FBI, I guess is theoretically possible. In the actual meeting, he would have said, "Oh, you know what that that note uh, forget forget what I wrote you i 'm actually here on behalf of Hillary Clinton, but that doesn 't seem very likely you know he wouldn't he would admit he was lying in the cover note, and that 's not the way the FBI agent, agent remembers it so th- this this they they seem to have Sussman nailed
3: they do, and not only that, and this is what it means. This is the then Jake Sullivan puts this, and this was retweeted by Hillary Clinton." Uh, they described the link of Alpha Bank and Trump. And he goes, This could be the most direct link yet between Donald Trump and Moscow. Sullivan said on the October 2016, 2016 statement computer scientists have uncovered a covert server linking the Trump organization to a Russian based bank. All BS pooped together in this cycle. So, do you understand why it matters? It should matter. If the Republicans were doing this, I'd be sick, just as sick as I am knowing that Democrats are doing this. Uh, Rich, uh, keep writing about it. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Thank Have you. Have great day. Uh, back with your calls in a moment. You listen to The Brian Kilmead Show.
2: It's Brian Kilmead. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
5: An exclusive
11: interview with Action News Jax. The mayor speaking out after Fox & Friends host Brian Kilmeade took some shots at the city last week. Action News Jacks Kennedy Dindy joins us live from City Hall. Kennedy, Brian Kilmead said the city is a mess and needs to be revitalized.
12: That's right. Just a couple hours ago, I asked Mayor Curry about those tough words by Kilmead on the national news show. As Mayor Curry puts it, the city has come a long way. And he invites those skeptical to come see the progress up close. And he assures critics that so much more is in store.
3: So the, I casually mentioned, we have the actual comments. I casually mentioned on the couch, we do bumping shots from various cities. Uh, and I want, well, I'm with Ainsley, 7 o'clock, I think on Thursday or Friday. And I just see the shot of Jacksonville. And I said, it's a beautiful city, but that the city's not nice. It's got all this potential. And I said, uh, it's all run down. If you go to a Jacksonville Jaguars game, you ride up there. It's one sports bar. They promised to revitalize that city. And I listen, I'm speaking specifically to WOKV listeners too. Honored to be on the show. Love, uh, love Jacksonville, but the city is not nice. I mean, ask a Jaguar. Ask them if they hang out in the city. Ask them how the landing's going. Oh, they wrecked it because there's too much gang activity and shootings. That's just the fact. It's the story in a lot of cities. The one I'm in right now, for example, New York City. So this mayor gets all offended because he's got projects in the works and it's come a long way. It doesn't mean it's there. It doesn't mean the city hasn't been let down. It doesn't mean they've been unable to work out a deal with the richest owner, I believe, in the NFL, uh, 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 Mr. Khan, Samir Khan, who who owns the Jaguars, to revitalize that city. It's surrounded by these bodies of water and these lovely bridges. But they go crazy. Now they make it I'm the enemy now. And I think think you use me whatever you need to rebuild the city because these city officials should be embarrassed by what they've left for the people. The people of Florida and Jacksonville deserve better. The Jaguars deserve better.
2: From the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Thanks Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening,
3: everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Big show this hour. We're going to be joined by Jeff Benedict. This is an expansive book on Tiger Woods before his accident. It was great. And now just get perspective on Tiger said yesterday what well, we all uh, rumored to be true. He's going to play the Masters. That's Thursday, Friday. If he makes the cut, Saturday, Sunday. And they say he swings good, really good, maybe better than before the accident, but coming back from back injury. However, it's about walking the course. And there's hills. And if the people who know these things about your physical ailments say it's one of the toughest things to do is uh, Frank back from his injuries to walk up and downhill. And that's going to be the key, believe it or not, when it comes to golf, walking it. So if he's able to do that and play well, it will be one of the great sports stories of our generation. He's already uh, one of the most interesting athletes that I've had a chance to watch. In fact, the first time I was ever asked to do a story on, on Tiger Woods, I was at Channel One coming out of college, and that was a national high school news program without commercials in it, and they said they got this young guy, Uh, Over in California, we might fly you out there. He's about 11 years old and he's uh, as good as many professional golfers already. And I said, what's his name? Tiger Woods. And they said the name Tiger is from his dad's military buddy who who he met in Vietnam. And that was uh, the beginning of it. And it kind of kept an eye on him. And we see where he is today. And then Barney and company will do a simulcast. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three.
5: Number three. 7,000 a day is not sustainable. It overwhelms the communities in Texas, Arizona that have to absorb this population. It overwhelms Catholic charities. It overwhelms the border patrol and ICE and their ability to keep up. And obviously it overwhelms the Biden administration politically.
3: That is not a right-wing hack. That is Jay Johnson from the Obama administration talking about the border crisis and the idiotic move to get rid of Title 42. That means there's going to be millions of people crossing our border. Everybody in Central South America, we got Ukrainians turning up, Russians over, uh, coming up through Florida. I'm, I'm not kidding. Russians are turning up in Florida. Everyone wants to come here, but nobody wants to come legally. This has got to stop. Number two.
6: The president is confident that his... Uh, family did the right thing. But again, I want to just be really clear. These are actions by uh, Hunter and his brother. They're private matters. They don't involve the president. And they certainly are something that no one at the White House is involved in.
3: Uh, well, well, see about that. Ron Klain, chief of staff of the president of the United States. That's wishful thinking. Hunter and Durham blowing up years too late, but too important to ignore. One of the on the Biden front, more evidence that Joe knew all about uh, Hunter's business dealings. And on the Durham probe goes right back to Hillary. I'll bring it all.
1: Number one. Ukrainian prosecutors say that they're investigating nearly 4,500 alleged war crimes by Russian troops. And Ukraine's prosecutor general says they want to, quote, punish the monsters who are responsible.
3: So there you go. Uh, that's Holly Williams of CBS, a slow-rolling holocaust, which is how I describe what we are seeing as the Russians roll out of the capital region of Kiev and look to consolidate their gains in the south and east of Ukraine. The western side and American leadership are... Fast and promising, slow in delivering. People are dying because of it. And it's just so agonizing to see. But I'm also heartened by the fact that the public, the world is moving. They're beginning to push now. Macron came out today and said, I want uh, to ban. I want to have a sanction on any country using Russian coal and oil, but not natural gas because the Germans still need it. Russia. Um, is still making $1.8 billion a day from their oil revenue. That has got to stop. The ruble is back up in value. they got to feel the pain from A to Z, the millions that they have on their borders, and the horror we're seeing emblazoned like brands on a cow of the Nazi sticker on bodies that are now lifeless, mayors being shot alone with their family and buried in shallow graves in the outskirts of Kiev. We're seeing people being executed with their hands behind their back, also buried in shallow graves. And the Russians' retort basically made up their actors. They're not real. Sean Penn was on with Hannity last night, and he saw this whole thing on the ground. And he saw the uh, how Zelensky has stepped up and been this incredible leader. And he even brought up how Zelensky has united his country. Because you might not know this, but Vladimir Klitschko, Vitaly Klitschko, is the mayor of Kiev. He's a rival... Of Zelensky, he was going to run for president against him, so Republican, and Democrat. Think like that. After seeing Zelensky rally the way he did and stay in fight, he is enlisted in the army. Listen, cut nine.
0: I talked to the mayor of Kiev, who is Mayor Klitschko, who is a former uh, world heavyweight champion. Yeah, uh, I right wrote about him. this is this was in November. This was somebody who very well could have run against Zelensky in the next election and and perhaps beaten him. Uh, We talked to a lot of people, and that seemed to be the consensus that this would be competitive. Uh, He didn't have a lot of um, uh, uh, praise for the president. Tonight, as we're sitting here, that same very powerful figure, uh, Klitschko, has enlisted in President Zelensky, that commander-in-chief's military. He's in, he's in the fight. So it tells you everything. I mean, this is leadership. We talk about leadership. We talk to leaders. Uh, no one on the, on the planet's been tested in leadership like this you're, one you're, human being.
3: You know, in, in our country, he's got uh, Zelensky a 75% approval rating for, for Sean Penn and Sean Hannity to get to see eye to eye on this, as I do, is amazing. Because And he did say something else. He said, you realize they have a common mission in Ukraine. That's maybe what we're missing here in America. But they're fighting for things we take for granted, and that's freedom. But I've been over that. But here's just something I want to build on. When Zelensky addressed the United Nations, he brought up a very good point. One of it was probably doesn't get a lot of publicity. You know, in Afghanistan, when they had to get people evacuated, even though they knew there was over 100,000 people on the Ukrainian border, they were Russians, and they were probably going to invade. You know what he did? He paid out of his own pocket the government's own government uh, funds, and they flew planes into Afghanistan and evacuated Afghanis. Some they brought to their country. Others they brought to safe third countries. That's what it meant. That's because they knew the Afghans were in an emergency. NATO needed some help. They stepped up to answer that call more than the Germans did, more than a lot of NATO nations did. They have done a lot of things that are just very impressive. They don't have the, uh, the squeaky clean government. That's not the issue. They're standing up to fight, and we are not getting them uh, the food they need and the types of weapons. They, we're giving them more javelins. That's great. But, you know, we, they need tanks to actually push back. We cannot let the Russians get the Donbass region. And meanwhile, there's over 100,000 people in Mariupol right now dying of thirst and hunger and being tortured to death because the Russians have shown to be these ruthless barbarians that we pretended as if they weren't. But they are. So knowing what has happened now in day 30, excuse me, day 42, knowing the horror that's been exposed, 10-year-olds being killed point-blank range, children being buried alive, where mom and daughters being raped simultaneously and then killed, this is according to eyewitness accounts. So you see all this, you know this horror is happening, and you're horrified by it. And then we have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff say this, cut three.
7: Short of uh, the commitment of U.S. military forces into Ukraine proper, um, I'm not sure he was deterrable. This has been a long-term objective of his um, that that goes back years. I think that uh, NATO, uh, the United States, Ukraine, and all of the uh, allies and partners that are supporting Ukraine are going to be involved in this for quite some time. It's
3: quite some time. How many more people got to die? I mean, this is so odd in that, The military actually is better equipped, better trained, and more focused than the Russian military. The Russians respond after losing battles by killing civilians. So every day that we don't come up with a plan to give them the weapons that they need, because the fear of a nuclear war, which we dealt with for 80 years, but America with the superior nuclear arsenal is afraid that the Russians will use it when there's no indications that they will. Rebecca Heinrichs from the Hudson Institute Heard Milley's statement and is equally, this is the guy that brought us Afghanistan, right, the mess. And then when asked, he said, yeah, it wasn't my plan. The president told me to leave, so I left. Cut four.
1: It reveals that uh, the United States is completely out of step with the Ukrainian government in terms of the Ukrainian government's sense of urgency and Zelensky's trying to win this war if the Amer- if the top American general is saying this is going to be a long protracted war that really reveals that this is a policy decision coming out of the the White House that we are not clear on our war aims or what a strategic victory would look like for him to say this is going to be open and a protracted incredibly discouraging and really reveals the indecision of Joe Biden
3: he's being pushed by Congress to do a lot of these things. And if it wasn't on a bipartisan basis, he'd be doing almost nothing. So uh, let's go to Bruce. listen to the Fox News Radio app. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Enjoy your show. Enjoy
11: your Saturday night show, too, on uh, Fox Channel. You're you're excellent. Thanks, man. Uh, Uh, 8 to 11
3: o'clock. Thank you for that.
11: Yep. It's very good. Uh, What my thing is, with Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, releasing from the uh, 1 million barrels from the Strategic Reserve, that oil... He's not doing it for the good of the American people because they wanted us they want the
9: prices to go up so we drive less. Can we charge this tongue in cheek? Can we charge this to the Democratic Reelection Committee for twenty twenty two that they <laughs> refill it?
3: I don't know. Uh, I, I think I know what you're saying it's uh for pure political purposes. Uh it's not really gonna affect the price more than a penny. So we know that it's it's uh the average price now is about four thirty nine, but I'm looking at most places over five dollars. So I would say this, Bruce. I would look – I'm going to bring back sound tomorrow. These CEOs better give it back to these Rocahanas, who I like personally, but he's way out of bounds here, making fossil fuels the enemy. And now because they do that for a living, they use fossil fuels to fuel our cars and our houses and our planes Made them the enemy when he took over. And now they're saying you're the enemy because you're making too much money off oil and gas prices because one of the main reasons they're up is because we don't pump to our capacity and that we don't reason we don't drill on these lands in and the, and these waters because we get the leases, but we don't get the permits. So I want these oil and gas guys, Bruce, to answer those claims once and for all, because I don't pretend to be an oil and gas expert. I'm doing a feature for Fox Nation on the history of oil and gas in our country, and I've got a chance to talk to more people than I ever thought I would. I'm not an expert, but I'm curious. I know what I don't know. I think if I'm good at anything is knowing what I don't know and asking questions. And these lawmakers have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to oil and gas. They've never been in a rig, have never been to a field, and yet they're going to vilify CEOs because fossil fuels they claim is ruining Earth because John Kerry told them. When we come back, I'll take more of your calls in at the bottom of the hour. I'm going to talk to Jeff Benedict. A fun story, a good story, and that is Tiger Woods' comeback. Is it for real on Thursday and what it means in the big picture? Wrote a great book about him. you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
4: I, I would want to follow Barack Obama's advice. Uh, And we'll get the same results we got in the midterms of 2010 and 2014 when he was president, romped by the Republican Party. Here's the story they have to tell. $5 a gallon gasoline, runaway inflation at the supermarket, uh, critical race theory in the classroom, uh, crime on the streets that is rampant in America's cities, uh, a porous border um, that people are, are pouring over now will pour even more if they continue to change policy and revoke Title 42. That And an awful withdrawal from, you, from Afghanistan and slowness in terms of defending the Ukrainians. Tell that story, and the Republicans are going to retake the House, the Senate, and we're going to have more than 30 governorships.
3: Yeah, and that was uh, Governor Christie, uh, and he was on with me on Fox & Friends today. And if you want to talk about Barack Obama, with all the charisma, ability to speak, and uh, obviously intellect, he... Um, He's, he made President Biden look so bad just by being himself. And also, I think it was rude to him. I mean, I could not cure less. Joe Biden uh, is had a hard life. Obviously, his first wife, car accident, loses his daughter. Nobody, uh, everyone feels bad for him. But everyone's got something. Then Bo Biden dies of a brain, ca- a brain tumor. Horrible. Got it. But besides that, I don't think he's that nice of a guy. And continuing to bring that up over and over again, when everyone listening to me right now has some type of tragedy in their life directly that might exceed that, and you keep it to yourself, you don't, do it to you, you don't bring it up to get votes, and he has. Um, Democratic losses under President Obama. Listen to this. President Obama in the first election, 55, he started with 55 seats in the Senate. He ended up with 46. He started with 256 seats in the House. He ended with 194. He started with 28 states with Democratic governors. He ended with 16. In terms of state and federal Democratic uh, posts, 1,042 state and federal posts uh, uh, losses under President Obama. He won two elections. His party suffered. And his political party, the DNC, was left with nothing in the coffers. He was raising money for himself. Dan, lifting on, listening on Freedom 10, uh, 970. Hey, Dan.
9: Hey. The sun is finally shining out here in western Oregon, so it's a good day. Thank you. Hey, um, the biggest question I have is the, in the Durham and the laptop uh, fiascos. Is why was big media and big tech so invested in destroying Trump? There's got to be a bigger question behind all this. This is local drama. theme, you know
3: well, they don't feel he um, like was worthy of the office, right? Uh, number one. Number two is big tech. Donald Trump's camp used Big Tech brilliantly, social media brilliantly, in order to win. Consolidated uh, mailing lists, micro-targeted in a way that Barack Obama could only dream about. So, Mike, I'm going to—excuse me, uh, Dan. I remember I was talking to Neil Ferguson of the Hoover Institute, who wrote, who wrote the—told wrote the, me this on camera and off. He said, Silicon Valley, it feels humiliated that Donald Trump used their sources— And use their technology in order to win. And they will pay him back. Uh, Meanwhile, they'll make him pay. And what did Zuckerberg do? Flooded the zone with money, giving little money to Republicans. Went to all these districts and hit Democrats with all of them. They just feel he wasn't worthy of the office. Maybe some really thought there was something to the Russian investigation. And they're all left-wing Democrats. So they combined. They threw out any type of fair and balanced approach. So and they just like some people love Trump will kill for him, like everybody who voted for him. And there's other people that will kill because of him Um, and just hate Republicans just because Donald Trump's a Republican. Uh, We'll never understand it. I will never. We have to study Donald Trump's immense passionate popularity. And we'll have to study those who just will live for the day that he is no longer in politics. Mike, listen, I'm KTMS in Santa Barbara. Hey, Mike.
13: Yeah, hello, Brian. I um, just wanted to make a point that I think that uh, everybody is missing the main point of the Sussman, uh, Durham, Hillary
3: collusion okay,
13: story, and that is um, <clears throat> the phony the 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 increase in animosity that that created between the two countries over a phony story.
11: Absolutely,
2: that the
13: Russians knew was phony. And the animosity that that created between our two countries, what did that contribute to this situation we have going on right
3: now? I I love that point, and I've I've made that before. It made it impossible to even have bad relations. They had zero relations between the two countries and allowed things to fester. One thing was clear that uh, obviously Putin and Trump had this odd type of respect. I still can't figure out. But there's a reason why Vladimir Putin didn't invade during Trump years. And in his own twisted mind, he was convinced that Trump wasn't particularly enamored with NATO or Ukraine and felt as though these are these are what some people have speculated that he was no threat to having Ukraine join NATO. So he wasn't going to do it. But then he felt as though when he left that Biden was going to make sure that Ukraine joined NATO in the European Union. That's what some have theorized. But the one thing is, America was hurt during that. We don't understand. For two years, two and a half years, when the the executive branch can't function, we all lose.
2: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. As of right now, I feel like I am going to play. As of right now. Um, I'm going to play nine more holes tomorrow. My recovery has been good. I've been very excited about how I've recovered each and every day, and that, that's been the, the, the challenge. That's why I came up here and, and tested out for 27 holes.
3: And that was um, Tiger Woods yesterday uh, confirming what's been rumored that he's going to play in the Masters uh, after that devastating car wreck when many people thought he was going to lose the leg, devastated. Uh, and, you know, when the cops came up to him in his car, they thought he was, whoever it was, was dead. Uh, he is very much alive and about to play in the Masters. It is uh, all about Tiger Woods. Very few things would sur- that happen to Tiger Woods would surprise Jeff Benedict. He is the uh, co-author of the no- number one New York Times best-selling biography on Tiger Woods, also executive produced the Tiger Woods documentary in HBO last year, and joins me now. Jeff, are you surprised to hear Tiger confirm uh, just a couple of years from that accident he's playing again?
13: First of all, good morning, Brian. Good to talk with you again. Um, no, no. I- <laughs> I think the thing about about Tiger that I learned w- while writing the biography was that uh, he is he, he's such an unusual athlete to begin with, but he, he really doesn't even fit in the sport of golf. Um, when you think about the kinds of injuries he sustained uh, a little over a year ago, those are those would be their catastrophic career ending injuries, probably in any sport, never mind golf. But what Tiger's been doing for years, and I, I thought of this yesterday when I watched his press conference and he was asked if he thought he could actually win this weekend. And without hesitation, he said he could. He, he does. It just reminded me of exactly how he sounded and reacted uh, at the press conference or the interview he gave before his very first professional golf tournament back in 1996. And he was asked then what his expectations were going into his first tournament. And he said, it's to win. And the the interviewer kind of laughed at him, like, because that was a ridiculous answer for an amateur young kid who just left college to expect he could actually win that early on the PGA Tour. And of course, we know what he did. A few months later, he he smashed all the records at the Masters and won. And I think this is really just an extension of that story. He's doing that kind of thing yet again.
3: So uh, we're talking to uh, Jeff Benedict, who's who studied Tiger's life as well as anyone, uh, and did the HBO documentary on it. So Tiger, here he is, Tiger saying that exact thing, cut 29.
5: You've said countless times throughout your career that you don't enter a golf tournament unless you think that you can win it. Mm-hmm. So the question is simple. Do you think you can win the Masters this week? I do. And what have you seen in your preparation that leads you to believe that? I can, I can hit it just fine. and
2: I, I, I don't have any qualms about what I can do physically from
6: a golf standpoint. It's now... Walking is the hard part.
3: So, we, could you describe to our audience, of, in a pedestrian way, not from a, the best you could understand, how bad this leg is, and how how what they had to do to put it back together?
13: Well, I mean, I don't know anything more than anyone else knows about how the leg is right now. It, it obviously was, <laughs> yeah. In terms of how it was, I mean, there was the the initial prognosis was he he would he could lose the leg. Like, this was not a simple leg fracture. There were multiple fractures uh, in his leg and his ankle and his foot. Um, There were concerns about whether he would even be mobile after that accident. And uh, I I think one of the things, Brian, that's, that's so interesting about Tiger is Tiger is someone who has a linebacker mentality in a sport that's very genteel. And, and in football, we're, we're accustomed to seeing players um, blow their knees out, uh, break bones, go through really significant injuries, and then and then try to return to the gridiron to continue playing football. You never see this in golf because, first of all, golf isn't a sport that produces these kinds of injuries—the kind that he got from a car accident. But I think his this mentality that Tiger has, which people are just so um, unaccustomed to. He's had this his whole life, and a lot of it is rooted in the way he was raised by his parents and the things that his father taught him and instilled in him very on it. it, There's a a difference between confidence and arrogance. I've never seen viewed Tiger as someone who's arrogant. I've always seen him as someone who's extremely confident. You notice when he answered that question, that clip you just played, there wasn't a second of hesitation when he was asked that question, and his answer was, I do. And when he says I do, he means it. He really does go into this thing this weekend thinking he can win.
3: So Fred Couples, a legendary golfer, said this about they they played together. I guess they become fast friends, even though there's a difference in age. He says he looks phenomenal. Uh, He's my favorite guy. What impresses me the most is he was bombing it for one. If you ask one to talk golf, he was bombing it. I know JT, I'm not sure, uh, is not the longest hitter on the tour, but I know he's damn long, and he was with him uh, finishing it. Um, uh, Woods shows no signs of injury. There was no grimacing. There was no limping. The scorecard didn't matter, as Woods was more concerned with putting his leg, right leg, through another test. Now, when people drill down on it and they talk about the damage done, they say the hills are tough to walk. if Someone recovering from an injury like that. Uh, So that's interesting that he chose a hilly course to come back on. And I guess the key is going to be, you know, day one after going, this is going to, he's gone two days already going 18 holes, correct?
13: Yeah. Here's something, Brian, that your audience can probably relate to. Because most people listening to your program probably haven't had the kind of leg injury that Tiger sustained. But most of your listeners have probably experienced back pain. And, And a lot of them have probably experienced at one time or another serious back pain. You know how debilitating that can be. Here's the thing I think that's important with Tiger. He's been through major surgeries over and over and over on his back. He's had discs fused. He's had uh, injuries to his vertebrae that were so uh, painful and debilitating that for weeks and months he he couldn't move. Yet this guy came back from those kinds of injuries and played on these courses with that kind of back pain. If you can deal with back pain the way Tiger has, I think he's demonstrated he has an appetite and an ability to play with pain. I'm not saying he's in pain right now. I'm just saying that he's capable of dealing with pain in ways that mm-hmm. very few humans very few humans are capable
3: of. All right. Um Jeff, the other thing would be, you know, winning the coming back winning the Masters after that back injury and everything that he went through was uh, was amazing. Imagine if he can come back and win a major or be able to compete in all four majors this year and be competitive. What would that do for the game of golf?
13: Well, he's always been the lodestar for the game of golf. There are millions of people, and that's not like a loosely used term, millions of people who will tune in this weekend only to see him. And if he weren't playing, they would not watch the Masters. There's a lot of people that don't necessarily care about golf and certainly don't play golf, who tune in when he plays. And so it's not only great for the game of golf and the network that broadcasts the tournament, but it helps all the other players on the tour.
3: Understood. And just in terms of you just studied him all these years and whatever, do you, do you have a relationship with him?
13: No, no. I mean, when you write a biography, you typically don't work with the subject that way.
3: Yeah. This understood. So you have this other book that is also great. It's called uh, The Dynasty. It's all about the New England Patriots' remarkable run. And now it's going to be a 10-part TV series by Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. Uh, They're Imagine Productions. So you're going to be not only the executive producer but a writer on it.
13: Yeah, and the difference there, Brian, is in that case, I did work with the team and and them because uh, it it was not a biography. It was me spending three years inside the organization. And so it's an interesting comparison because in my mind, Robert Kraft as an owner, Bill Belichick as a coach, and Tom Brady as a quarterback are on the same plane as Tiger Woods as a golfer. You're talking about four people who are the best in the world at what they do, and so it, for me, it, w- it has been really eye-opening in terms of looking at similarities and differences.
3: When's going to be ready? Well, the
13: film ten-part series is a big process, so uh, <laughs> you know we're we're, <laughs> but we're into it, and it's a great project.
3: I can imagine. So, any predictions before we go on, on the Masters uh, beginning tomorrow?
13: Uh, I, I hate making predictions because I'm not a golf expert. I feel like I, you know, I'm a biographer. I write about people. I, what I will be most interested in, of course, is just watching Tiger and watching people watch him. Just the size of the crowds, Brian, that were there this week to watch him practice. <laughs> is, um, it, 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 just, it, it injects an enthusiasm and an excitement into the game that I think had gone kind of quiet since he uh, stepped off the tour.
3: Uh, I hear you, uh, no doubt about it. And I just think the crowds will be huge. And all all that uh, anti-Tiger sentiment that might have existed in the past when he was the best, I think it's all reversed. I don't even think people are thinking about the scandals before, the marriage and the problem.
11: I think they're just
3: looking just to look to see if this guy can turn back the clock again.
13: No, I think that's right. And I also think that one of the things that's it's – this is a good story, and uh, in a lot of ways, the country and the world can can use a good story right now. And When I say good, I mean something that's uplifting, something that right. gives uh, people a reason to smile.
3: You got it. Uh, Jeff Benedict, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, 1-866-408-7669. When I come back, simulcast with Stuart Varney. Then your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
2: The Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Businesses, Varney & Company with Stuart Varney. Don't just hang in there on your investments. Call Talon Wealth and get peace of mind with active management of your portfolio. Dial pound 250 and save financial plan. Investment advisory services offered through Talon Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Past performance does not guarantee future results.
3: Well said. Uh, by Talent Wealth. Love those guys. And now we're about to go on with Stuart Varney. Uh, Stuart Varney, of course, the, the number one show on all of business television. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit about toddlers and a lot about Tiger in a matter of moments uh, as he's still talking about the market just a little bit. So we're going to go with him in a second. Now, after we're done, I'll take some calls, 1-866-408-7669. And remember, you could always get the podcast, BrianKillMeShow.com. Let's listen
14: screens. All right, Brian, welcome back to the show. I want to talk about the mayor of New York, Eric Adams. Toddlers are being kept in masks. The mayor is asking people to leave Florida and come back to New York. I think this mayor is off to a very strange start, isn't
3: he? I love his intensity. I I love that he's actually saying that no no cash bail is a problem, that crime is going through the roof, that he's trying to address it. But I got to tell you, it's absolutely erratic, some of the things he's doing. Yes, holds exactly. a press conference to say, come back to New York because yeah. we allow kindergartners to get into to get talk about gender identity. And they don't in Florida. Come back to New York where the taxes are high and the crime is increasing. Come back to New York where the taxes will continue to take a, a bigger and bigger bite out of your wallet. So I understand that, though; at least he's addressing the problem. He said so many of our high earners have left. So many other people have gone. So he wants him back. But this is no plan. That's called a sign that Governor DeSantis mocked. As for yeah. the toddlers, are you kidding? Yeah. I've had, I've had a mom in tears tell me they got to tell their three and four year old to wear a mask again when nobody else is wearing a mask. Nobody else. They, they I think, 0.0. 0.05% of yeah. the positive cases are toddlers, under five. And they're something like 10% of the population in New York, and they still are leaving them in masks. It is cruelty.
14: It's it, very sad to see this poll that shows a large number of New Yorkers. I don't know the exact number. They feel that the, the majority of New
3: Yorkers... 59%. Th-
14: yeah, that's huge. They feel that they, their family would have a better future if they left the city permanently. Leave it for good. That's an awful poll.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, he's got to reverse that because this city has been really bad and it's been really, really good. And as tourists come back and people come back, they're now dealing with a situation where the homeless are overrunning the city like they are in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, Charlotte and uh, various cities. They're overrunning the city. And it's not so much you look and say, look at that encampment, which he's trying to clean up erratically, haphazardly. But you have a violent homeless population, and drug adult, and you can't get them into shelters anymore. So if, uh, 59% of the people, when asked, say their life would be significantly better if they left the state, permanently. Uh, left the city, I should say.
14: Left the city permanently, not yeah. just an escape, permanently. That's something. Let me ask you about the Masters. Tiger Woods thinks he can win a sixth green jacket. He's going to play. He thinks he can win. Odds against him is 75 to 1. What's your view of uh, Tiger at the Masters?
3: If he gets, this is what I would say. Uh, He is absolutely confident. We just talked to Jeff Benedict, his biographer. His book was number one about Tiger Woods. He studied him for about five years. We just had him on three minutes ago. And he said that Tiger, from the time he was 12 years old, when asked when he's in a tournament, can he win it? He says yes the same exact way. It's not boastful. It's not arrogance. It's, in his mind, it's fact. I will say this. The fact that Fred Couples played with him, and he's a legendary golfer, and he said that he's hitting the ball in a fantastic, he's seen no sign of problems. If he gets through the cut, I think it's one of the great sports stories of the year. That means after the first two days, getting to Saturday. So let alone being in contention. But, man, this is the exact adrenaline, the shot of adrenaline that golf needs. They thought the young generation was going to be uplifting. The young generation worships Tiger. The older generation wants him back. Yes. So it's a good time, Stuart. We both follow the sport, and we knew when Tiger was thought of as uh, you know almost vill- uh, villainized because no one could catch him, now people are rooting for him, and he, including Jack Nicklaus, who's got 18 majors and Tiger's got 15. Let's yeah. see if he can get another one. I mean, it would be unbelievable if he goes one tournament after two Ooh. years and goes ahead and, and oh. wins it. That would be almost impossible.
14: That would be a sensation and a half. And I, of course, will be watching just to see if it's going to happen. Good right. stuff. Hey, Brian, you're all right. We'll see you again real soon, all okay? Right. I'll yeah.
3: say it again. I love that Blazer, by the way. It's different. one 408 7669 So I just think uh, it would be one of the great stories. I don't think there's any way he wins, but I would love to see him contend. But one thing about the course, the Masters, something about the way his, uh, he plays his game, it just works perfectly. So if he's going to be perfect and he's already won it five times, uh, why not again? I think he's got close a couple other times, too, and then he got those years when there was this huge gap, when his personal life fell apart, and he lost that uh, sense of being impervious. I think he's gradually getting it back. And I know one thing, the thing he likes best, uh, he loves being a parent. Every time he does an interview, he always talks about uh, being a parent. So I think that was, that's, that's something that he's able to play with his son. He never thought he could do that again. Now he can. The other major story that... Um, that we're discussing was what Stuart just brought up is the fact that Ron DeSantis came out and said, I basically challenge Eric Adams or anyone else who wants to leave Florida to go to uh, to go to New York. You can go ahead. But why would anyone leave? We got zero state tax. Number one. Number two, for the most part, we got better weather um nine out of every 12 months of the year. Number three, we give you freedom, freedom to decide to wear a mask, freedom to decide to keep your restaurant open or go to a restaurant. Freedom to go to the beach outside of two weeks when he says he regrets giving in to the Trump administration and closing down his state. So now as their economy turns around and you look at the numbers, New York, I lived it. We're in New York, 48th and 6th. I lived it. You saw nobody in the city streets. You saw nobody at work. You saw everyone run and hide. Nobody was going to restaurants. Businesses going out. You checks being written to people to pay their rent or they'd be giving uh, an exemption not to pay their rent. Landlords would go and belly up, and we end up with the same numbers. The same numbers in terms of fatalities and cases as Florida, and Florida actually ends up with better numbers in some cases in some regions. So uh, to me, it's a, I'm, I appreciate the mayor coming out of Eric Adams and saying, come back to New York, but you got to have a stronger hand. Then take taxpayer dollars and take out ads in Florida and come back. Because most people know they can come back, they choosing not to. Hey, don't forget One Nation Saturdays at one. Excuse me, at eight and eleven.
2: From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, 1-866-408-7669, the number to call to be on the show. And we appreciate, um, as I try to get my TVs worked out, I appreciate everybody tuning in. So let's get to, by the way, this hour we're going to be joined by uh, Tim Stewart. Uh, Right now as we speak, uh, we know this that uh, the five major oil and gas companies are going on Capitol Hill and evidently they're going to be uh, yelled at by Democrats on the fossil fuel industry and get accused of gouging. Can you believe this? Accused of gouging when they were told originally they were the problem to stop producing fossil fuels. Now they're gouging. Hopefully, they'll fight back. Tim Stewart will be with us. He's the president of U.S. Oil and Gas. And then Martha McCallum right after that. Let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
5: Number three. 7,000 a day is not sustainable. It overwhelms the communities in Texas, Arizona, that have to absorb this population. It overwhelms Catholic charities. It overwhelms the Border Patrol and ICE and their ability to keep up. And obviously, It overwhelms the Biden administration politically.
3: Uh, Yeah, I would say so. And that's kind of good if there was Ron Johnson, a Republican senator, or Ted Cruz. That's Jay Johnson. He used to be uh, in charge of Homeland Security for Barack Obama. He says this crisis is so out of control, even Democrats see the chaotic mess it is. And if you get rid of Title 42, Title 42 that would allow everybody who comes in to stay and gets a phone and a, cha- a recommendation to find an ICE officer to turn yourself in after we t- to travel you to the city you want, that would be a disaster, right? Well, that's what's going to happen at the end of May. It's more than just Joe Manchin needed to save the day.
6: Number two. The president is confident that his uh, family did the right thing. But again, I want to just be really clear. These are actions by uh, Hunter and his brother. They're private matters. They don't involve the president, and they certainly are something that no one at the White House is involved in.
3: Hunter and Durham, blowing up years too late, but too important to ignore. On the Biden front, more evidence. Joe knew all about those big-time Hunter deals and the Durham probe, seeing how Hillary's gang used the media and perhaps the FBI to destroy
1: Trump. Number one. Ukrainian prosecutors say that they're investigating nearly 4,500 alleged war crimes by Russian troops. And Ukraine's prosecutor general says they want to, quote, punish the monsters who are responsible.
3: Punish the monsters, a slow-rolling holocaust. That's what it is, which is how I describe what we're seeing as Russians roll out of the capital region and try to consolidate their gains in the south and east of Ukraine. The Western aid and American leadership are fast in promises, but slow in delivering, and people are dying. And now we have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff say, oh, this could go on years. People are starving to death. They're dying uh, because they're walking on the side of a road. They're killing pedestrians because... The Russians are a pathetic former superpower who cannot actually outfight the Ukrainians, so they decide to kill innocent civilians. So with me right now to discuss this and more is Tim Stewart, uh, the president of U.S. Oil and Gas. Tim, welcome back.
11: Brian, thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you this morning.
3: Hey, Tim, first off, how do you feel about, what do you think the stance is going to be from BP, Shell, and Mobile, and others said are going to testify today in front of the House subcommittee.
11: You know, I was actually watching that just before I, I jumped on. And, and let me tell you, it's it's like we're living in page 350 of Atlas Shrugged, you know. Uh, I grew up on a farm, and my dad used to teach me. He'd say, look, so he said, look, there's two types of people in this world. There's those who produce things and those who want to loot from us. And it's been fascinating to watch these opening statements from the members of Congress Keep in mind, these are the Democrats who voted in Build Back Better to essentially eviscerate the oil and gas industry yep. from here on out are now saying, why aren't you producing more? It's it's really frustrating, to be honest with you. But well, you we'll know why you're not it.
3: producing more. You guys tell me permits. OK, excuse me. Uh, leases. OK. I need a permit to drill there. And then I got to get financing in order to do it, because not many people walk around with billions of dollars or millions of dollars in their pockets. So they get financing. But guess what? The oil and gas industry has been told that they are persona non grata with most of these investment firms. So you it's hard for you to get investment dollars even though you're profitable companies. Is this all this correct?
11: No, you're absolutely right. You know, and, and if, so watching what's gonna to happen today in this hearing, I, I think you and I need to remind ourselves that Congress is only good at two things. Remember Congress is good at doing nothing for a really long time until it's time to completely overreact. And I think what you're seeing here is that despite the fact that our industry sat and warned members of Congress administration for 15 months, they ignored us. And now in the process of overreacting, you know, so it's like the clown car the circus pulls up and all these bad ideas start to spill out all at once. Brian, we've told them over and over again, when you send signals to Wall Street that the oil and gas industry is no longer favorable in terms of this administration's policies, and we're not going to conduct any more lease sales, and the permits that are waiting, we're going to slow walk approving them. That sends a clear market to the to a clear message to the markets. And now you can't come back to us and say, "Well, you're price gouging," and you know we're going to have to look at windfall profits tax and things like that. It's it is it, it is. It's sort of a, a bipolar approach to, to energy policy. It's a bad way to do things.
3: Well, no kidding. So right now we look at at gas at four twenty two a gallon. It's up sixty cents since the war began, up a dollar thirty four from a year ago. just one of uh, just one in three approve of, of how uh, the president is handling the overall economy when it comes to oil and gas. I don't know who that one is. So the thing is, and you know this, Tim. These are CEOs used to have giving out orders and have people followed. Now they're going to get berated. It's different if it's the collapse of the auto industry that they should have seen coming in 2008. They have to stand up for themselves and take a tone of respectful defiance and say, you, you know, do not know my industry.
11: Yeah, you know, you actually said that to me a week or 10 days ago when the last time we talked, and frankly, I, I agree with you. I think the problem is, you know, our industry is not monolithic. For every one big oil company, every one Exxon, there's hundreds and hundreds of smaller companies. And that's what my association actually represents, is those small guys. It's Frankly, it's the small businesses in the world. And the reality is, is, and you, get, and you gave me this message, but look, appeasement is never a winning strategy. I think the mistake that some made in the industry when the new administration came in was assume that we're going to go back to normal. And they said, you know, they'll work with us, despite all the clear signals they were sending. And the reality is, is there are some real climate Shiites in this administration. It's the true believers, it's the unelected and the unappointed. They're more than willing to blow things up. And the thought that the adults would keep them under control is not the case. And so you said fight back, and we and look, we have been fighting back, but the reality is, is when you're explaining, you're losing simple rule of politics, and I'm critical of my industry because we spend too much time trying to explain things away, you know, explaining the permitting process or the new SEC rule or debanking the industry to people who, in the administration, will not listen to us because they think that policy is just sending out a, t- a tweet twice a day with a chart on it, you know, and so we've got to hit them in a different way, and frankly and thankfully, the American people have sent that message now, um, and that, I think, is really important because the reality is it's Look, our, our industry, these are our customers, and we have the same issues that, that our customers have. It's, it's the people in the audience, you know, they're the ones driving the job site right now. These are the people who are the producers, like I mentioned earlier. But my guys are paying the same amount of diesel as, as they are, and we're hit with the same rising costs that any other small business is, shorthanded on labor. And so, you know, we're double, the good news is we're doubling down on production despite these numerous roadblocks that keep being thrown up to us week by week. And so I think it's important for us to, to, as an industry to connect with our customers and tell them that we're right. standing up rigs and production's up and things are going to get better here.
3: If you can do it. If you're allowed to do yep. it. But you were also told by Ro Kahana, and I'll paraphrase, he said, if you are out there drilling more, you're hurting the planet. You're doing something bad. Why do you continue to drill for fossil fuels knowing basically how bad it is for the environment? Now they're saying, how dare you charge so much for oil and gas that you're making less off? Well, I don't know, supply and demand. So here's an example of the tone it's probably happening now as we speak. This is with the House. Energy and Commerce Committee Chairperson Frank Pallone said in a statement, "This was just a few weeks ago." He says, "It's time we get to the bottom of why oil companies are content to watch Americans suffer so that their shareholders and executives can reap enormous profits." Wow.
11: Yeah. Again, it's a, it's frightening when we have people who are truly controlling energy policy in the country, who frankly don't understand the basic economics of of the energy industry itself. Now, the reality is, look, if you and I were to go buy gas this afternoon, that gasoline was oil 60 or 70 days ago, and the way distribution works is there's always a lag between oil prices and pump prices. Retail prices don't always immediately follow the crude, either up or down. And so it takes about two weeks for that full effect to be seen on the corner. The reason why is because refiners acquire crude, then they turn it into fuel, and they send it out to the pipeline, out to the trucks, to the distribution facilities, and it gets to the service stations, and that process can take several days to the week it's it's like a rubber band. It's elastic on both sides. You know, it, it stretches one way and then stretches the other way. But I was listening to the the House Democrats just a few minutes ago. They they demand immediate action. They want something to happen this morning and have the result by this afternoon. It just doesn't work that way.
3: It's not your fault that they don't have an economic understand the economics of oil and gas production. Number 2 is are they if they if they don't like the fact that some of these companies are making profits because oil on the global basis that's what it is. It's just under a hundred dollars. So on a global basis, if they don't like that, are they also when when prices go down? Do you guys do you guys want the government to write you checks too? When you know, nope.
11: Yeah, nobody was nobody was reaching out to us to say when you know back in April of twenty when when we were underwater, thirty four dollars a barrel. You know, if you and I would have filled up our swimming pools, there was so much oil we couldn't put anywhere because the demand had collapsed so quickly. There's no, nobody in Congress was reaching out saying, what can we do to help there? They only beat us up when prices are high. But can I throw a number at you real quick? Yep. 2.8%. 2.8% is the net profit margin by oil producers. That does in January 2022. Okay, that's that's really what my guy's margin was, about eight percent Let me throw this out at you, 8.5%. That is the typical profit margin of a media company the ones that they run to the other the other stations run to to beat us up, and so there are a lot of other sectors who actually have higher profit margins than the oil and gas industry does, even right now in this pricing environment because our costs have gone up so high as well so it, they say record profits, but the reality is is it's only a portion of the story, and we were we were losing billions of dollars you know a year ago when prices were so low. The other interesting thing about the um, the guys that are sitting in front of the Energy and Commerce Committee right now is most of those big companies, three or four weeks ago, wrote off close to about 150, 200 billion dollars in assets in Russia when when they pulled out. Now, our, and that was based on, frankly, poor management of, of, of foreign policy by the administration. I don't hear any sort of, and I'm not being an apologist for big oil, but I don't hear anybody saying, how are you going to recruit those costs? What are you going to do to recruit those, to those billions and billions of dollars of lost and stranded assets in a foreign country? So I have a thought for you.
3: All right, Tim. I look forward to seeing some results today and uh, see if these uh, oil and gas companies will stand up for themselves. Uh, and if they're allowed to drill, I just think it's almost comical that they're trying to figure out ways to get oil in, out of Canada now. Really? Uh, didn't we have a pipeline that was in the middle of being constructed that would have made it a lot easier?
11: Yeah, exactly. You know, the reality is, is we've got, you know, we talk about Strategic Petroleum Reserve. My industry went and, and found over the last 10 years a, a reserve in the ground in the shale plays and other unconventional resources in the United States. It's 100, 200, 300 times bigger than anything in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. If you want to tap the reserve, let us drill rather than pull out what's in the in the bank right now for a real national emergency. The reality is, is a volatile price climate. That's not a national emergency, unless you're a Democrat, and then it is. And so that's what they're trying to do. Is they're borrowing on the credit card to to try and get themselves through November. It's really crappy energy policy.
3: All right, Tim Stewart. Thanks so much.
11: Thanks, Brian. It's a great stock. All
3: right, same here. Uh, Tim Stewart, president of U.S. Oil and Gas Association. It matters. Uh, everyone listening to this uh, is affected by what I just said. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmey Show.
2: This is the Brian Kilmey Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions.
7: Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Short of uh, the commitment of U.S. military forces into Ukraine proper, um, I'm not sure he was deterrable. This has been a long-term objective of his um, that that goes back years. I think that uh, NATO, uh, the United States, Ukraine, and all of the uh, allies and partners that are supporting Ukraine are going to be involved in this for quite some time.
3: Well, uh, that was General Milley, and it just drove me crazy to hear this. And no one's been covering the uh, the war as well as uh, Martha McCallum is in the studio right now. And I want to get your take on that. I have no idea if you were upset by it, Martha, but I know you're covering it uh, every day, uh, every time you're on it at 3 o'clock when your show begins. But when him saying this war can go on for a long time, there was no way to deter that, that, number one, that I'm not asking for your analysis. If I ask you to work the map for me and then analyze what's going on, can you affect anything? We watched you blow Afghanistan. Then you said there was nothing we could do to stop this invasion. And now you say the war can go on for a long time. Can we tell him he's not a bystander? You need, I need X, Y, and Z to affect it in this way. This is the day after, two days after we're seeing all the horror left behind, which is reminiscent of, of Germany, uh, the Holocaust in World War II. He's just willing to accept that this is going to go on for years?
10: Well, it's there's a real irony in the fact that what he's telling us is we're now going to be tangentially involved in another long war.
3: It's a lot After of he money, told us $100 million dollars a day. We just
10: left like- a long war, yeah. right? And what was the result of pulling out the way that we did? At least one of the results of that, if you're, you know, doing your high school report, you're going to list all the reasons why what what we see now happen in Russia and Ukraine happened. That's one of the keys. That's one of the key reasons. There is a, a perception around the world in Russia and in China that this is the best time as any to go. You know, if you want to go grab some land somewhere now would be a great time to do it. So, yes, Millie sounds like he's watching from afar in this. Uh, it would have been better, I think, to have heard him lay out, you know, there are ways to win. In this situation, this is what we're doing to be prepared. We're waiting – you know, whatever the commander-in-chief asks us to do is what we're going to do, obviously. But here's here's the way we see this in terms of a victory, in terms of pushing Putin and his troops out of Ukraine, back over that border, and uh, maintaining the territorial integrity of Ukraine.
3: There's going to be no people left. There's already no buildings left in these cities. How many more people have to die horrific deaths? You're not talking about in the battlefield. You're talking about mayors being buried with their families in front of their homes – uh, children being shot, 10 uh, year olds being raped. So you just saw all those innocent bodies, not military, nobody in camouflage, because they lose every fight they're in, reportedly. And the other guys have no experience. They don't want to fight one on one. So they're bombing from afar, killing cities. Right now in Mariupol, there's over 100,000 people starving or uh, dying of thirst or starving to death. We still can't get uh, food and aid there. Yeah, I guess it's going to go on for a while. This isn't trench it's warfare, World War II, where armies are, are equipped to
10: do this. No, it it is hard to stomach what we're watching unfold, and and I realize these are difficult choices. It's not easy. We can't just drop in there and get them out. But would maybe we can? Well, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe there is a way to say what's happening here is completely unacceptable, and we have to figure out. And, and I just want to go back for a moment because we we interviewed a lot of the mayors. Um, a, during the course of the last month of these cities. And and I was always amazed by them because the mayors of these towns are not mayors like we have here. They're wearing, you know, flak jackets and they're basically on the front lines of protecting their town, literally yeah. protecting their town from being overrun. And in one piece today it described mayors in Ukraine as psychologists, police and police and priest. And it talked about this woman, Ola Suhenko, who was murdered with her husband and her young boy. Her husband is Ihor, and her little boy was Oleksandr. So the three of them were found dead with their hands bound in a shallow grave in the town where she had been delivering food and medicine and where she had been working as part of the resistance to tip off uh, and let the Ukrainian soldiers know where the Russians were moving.
7: Right.
3: Uh, that's a that's a great marriage, and she, she paid for it with her life. She's not equipped to handle all this.
2: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian
6: Kilmeade. For President Biden, the outlook is pretty grim war abroad, anxiety at home, and inflation at its highest level in 40 years. Sky-high inflation is erasing bigger paychecks. While hourly earnings are up 5.6% over last year, nearly one in five workers says they run out of money before they get their next check.
14: You have historic inflation. You have record gas prices. Americans are feeling it.
6: Biden's numbers have dropped by double digits with young voters, and they were a big part of his coalition in... 2020. Voter anxiety is about more than rising prices or Russia's war in Ukraine. Violent crime in American cities remains persistently high, and there is a growing problem at the border. President Biden's approval rating still hasn't found bottom, and it's been slowly trending down all year. So,
3: a series of comments, very negative things about President Biden personally. Him as president and the economy. They weren't going out of their way to go look at the job numbers, look at how many people are back at work, look at the deficit, which we all now has a flip side to it. But those are that's what we're used to seeing from those hearing from those networks, whether it's ABC, NBC, or, or CNN. Martha McCallum here said to host her show uh, coming up today at three o'clock. Martha, are you struck by the candid look at the Obama presidency to this point, and add to that the Quinnipiac poll that has him at thirty six percent approval rating?
10: You know, there was a, an interesting poll that was done with a group, it was a focus group, I should say, a group of young black Democrat based voters. That's the way they were described. And, uh, or, or black based voters for the Democrats and young voters for the Democrats. And this is the kind of thing they were hearing over and over again. And, and I, I feel like you can kind of sum it up this way. Remember when they told you that inflation was transitory yeah. and Putin was bluffing? So these are very simple realities Understandable. that people see, right? So there's a quote from a 23-year-old surfer on his way to go surfing, putting on his wetsuit today. He says to the Washington Post in a, in a piece today, well, I don't, gas was cheaper when Donald Trump was president. He can figure that out. Right. Right? Um, these, are, these are simple things that you know, regular folks going about their daily lives can, can see, and it doesn't have to smack them in the face to, to be told it. So finally, the media appears to be catching up with that's, that that's where everyone is. And then you
3: factor that in when the Washington Post and New York Times, now others have said, wow, this uh, Hunter Biden laptop seems real. You know, it really seems uh, strange that he is doing all these things with Joe Biden's brother. Now, they haven't made the logical leap. And, of course, what did the vice president know about these deals and what, how hands-on was he and did he benefit from them? They have made that leap. But the fact that they're talking about the president's son who did a book tour, which skated around all these issues – and he didn't get any real questions from anybody. That's how impervious he felt. And now, two years later, like, why you just laptop? Well, I'm holding it. It seems pretty sturdy. Oh, they, they these stickers seem pretty real. All most. Of, I did a forensic. I love this. Washington Post had the forensic expert look yeah, at it, and everything like, Oh, really? Where were
10: those forensic? And they experts said in we 2020? can't say conclusively hundred <laughs> percent right. that it's his laptop. First of all, you know, I, I like to look at things in a very common sense way. None of them. The president, or anyone, or Hunter Biden, or anyone else connected to it, has said, "Oh, that—that's definitely not his." Right? They never said that. No one ever denied that—that it, that it was his laptop. And you're right. Like, you know, I mean, my kids put stickers on their laptops. I would know right away which uh, one it was. <laughs> I would think
3: so. And then, who would ever, in a million years, drop that off at a local repair shop? I think that uh, Jimmy Kimmel made the joke. Next time, get Apple Care.
10: Yeah. It's hysterical. <laughs>
3: yeah, considering these are international Chinese deals. So today the big story, Martha, one of the big stories was the revelation that Joe Biden in an email trail was asked to provide a recommendation letter for a China CEFC executive, Chinese executive's son, who wants to go to Brown, NYU, or Cornell mm-hmm. and wanted the, bi- president to su- the vice president to give a letter of recommendation. How do we know? Because he is writing to Hunter and another other business partner asking – Joe Biden to do it. And guess who did it? Joe Biden. We haven't seen that letter yet.
10: I, I'm sure that Joe Biden has been asked for those kinds of letters his entire life, right? Because everybody vice wants a uh, senator, you know, a vice president, anybody in that kind of position. If they send a recommendation letter, it's going to make the admissions committee go, oh, well, that's interesting, right? But to send it from a company, a Chinese company that has direct links to the Chinese government you got to wonder what happened on the other side of that transaction, you know? So so he says, yes, I'll write the letter in return for what? And maybe it's not a direct quid pro quo, but clearly there's a reason. There's something that this is being traded for in some way, shape, or form.
3: Martha, do you know of any scenario as an investigative reporter with a major firm or the smallest newspaper where you wouldn't try pretty, pretty uh, hard to see if there's a link to the president on this? could be the biggest story of your
10: career. Absolutely. Right? Now,
3: it's done already. The big guy, Tony Bobulinski, is out there in the background. We know it's already. He said 10% the big guy. And we know that uh this guy, uh, I think it was Malar, who came out and said, you know never to bring up Joe's name. I just want to get this exact quote because he says, James Galar to Tony Bobolinsky, don't mention Joe being involved only when you're face to face. I know you know that. But they are just being paranoid. Okay, what reporter doesn't want to be the one that yeah. links this to the president of the United States?
10: No, I mean that's that's extraordinary. Then you then you have Ron Klain's email the other day saying, you know, Hunter, can you help me raise some money? Twenty thousand, you know, but let's keep it on the let's keep it on the down low. Now, now some of that kind of thing I'm sure goes on all the time. But um, the the fact that a hunter and it, I always go back in my mind to the Hunter email, which is part of this whole tranche of emails where he's angry because he's had to be the person who raised money for the family all along right and he's like you know i hope this never happens to you you know that that your dad asks for you know a piece of your income all the time to support him too so you know Ah. i is this laughable it's really i mean it's it's a Pretty amazing story. So I, I think, yeah, I think you're, and I also think it's ironic that people say, oh, well, you know, well, they couldn't bring it up before the election. The Department of Justice didn't want to touch it right before the election because it's bad timing. You know, it might influence people. So now it's, you know, oh, well, they shouldn't discuss it because we're in the middle of a war. I mean, When, when would be the right time? I'm just curious.
3: Well, was it the right time for Michael Sussman, who was working for Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Perkins Coie Forum? to call up Jim Baker, James mm-hmm. Baker of the FBI, in October of, 20, uh, of 2016. That timing was perfect, wasn't the it? The time was perfect, and just say, I have news for you. I don't work for anyone. I have news for you that you really need to see Concerned right away. Concerned citizen. Concerned citizen, and that was a link between Alpha Bank, a Russian bank, and Donald Trump's organization. Yes. need to see this. So that timing worked out good there, good enough for Slate to write it, for Hillary Clinton's camp to retweet Jake Sullivan's yeah. a missive that said a uh, statement that said the strongest links yet between the Trump organization and the and the uh, and the this Alpha Bank. So that's strange. So Chris yeah. Christie was at the panel on Sunday uh, on this week with George Stephanopoulos and was with there with New York Times and Washington Post across. Listen to this exchange. Cut 14.
4: The idea that somehow when making the Hunter Biden decision in the midst of an election campaign, we're saying, oh, we got to be careful about Russian disinformation but all through 2016 2017 we now know that it was the Hillary Clinton campaign that was creating that dossier paying for it and that became the basis of a New York Times Pulitzer prize and it turned well, out was that a
8: separate f- FBI investigation based on completely Wait, different evidence no, But, they but George, no
4: no no George look with the Hunter Biden case Twitter took the New York Post a Twitter account down because they reported on the Hunter Biden laptop, which now turns out to be completely true. So let's just call what bloody, let's what it what was on the New York Post had it right. But the George, the New York Post had it right, and the Washington Post and the New York Times had it wrong. Now, you can decide everyone will decide what the motivation for that was, whether it was simple error, whether it was not sufficient reporting, whether it was bias. Everyone's gonna have their opinions on that. But the facts that we know now are the New York Post had it right during the campaign last year, and the other media outlets had it wrong.
3: And two years later, we have this story that was supposed to follow through. Martha, in your opinion, do you believe behind the scenes Jen Psaki and the Ron Klains and the Biden family lawyers are going through that laptop and preparing for the worst? Or do you think they feel as though they can walk through fire?
10: Well, that's a good question. I, I I would imagine it's person to person, but I think some of them are concerned. I, I think if you're Jake Sullivan, you have to be concerned uh, about, you know, any sort of back and forth that you may have had on this about s- giving credibility to this stuff that was not credible at all right in the heat of an election. And I think that Governor Christie makes an excellent point here. And I, I'm also amazed that George Stephanopoulos is like, no, 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 their investigation was based on all kinds of other stuff that was legitimate. What is he talking about? Don't know. Because we've gone through this and through this and through this. If there's some, you know, golden pod of 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 really uh, you know critical, credible evidence of, of these a trump links, link to Russia of a Trump link to Russia, where the heck is it?
3: Right. I read where the whole Mueller it? Report. And, and, it,
10: and it goes back to the same thing, right? Where, where Jim Comey would say, Well, it wasn't all just based on the dossier. We had a lot of other stuff. Really? Where's where, where is it? Where is it? Right. Two Unbelievable. years.
3: All right. And two years left to the investigation Uh two, two years later, now his investigation. And then you'd see the fact that no one's really defending Joe Biden. And now that no one's really coming out, besides not linking him directly to it. The only person who's done worse over the last two years has been Kamala Harris. And she has been absolutely awful. She doesn't know the issue. She's not comfortable uh, on any one issue. She can't point to any accomplishments. And I believe she lost two more staffers in the last yeah. four days.
10: Yeah. Um, I, I I can't figure out what's, what's going on there, really. I mean, she's, she's a, an intelligent woman. She has a great resume i I really can't figure out i I haven't seen her as happy and relaxed as uh, during the whole time she's been vice president as she was yesterday in that room with with president obama she seems so relieved to be next to him and shaking everyone's hands next to him and not with president biden who i don't know if everyone has seen that video but it's absolutely shocking president biden's kind of wandering around in the back and nobody is talking to him and Former President Obama and Vice President Harris are shaking hands with everybody and laughing and smiling, and they can't get enough attention. It's a very – I think it's a very telling, interesting
3: – Reportedly, too, he referred to his vice president as he was speaking while with the president was sitting behind him with Kamala Harris. And he says, I'm only kidding. It's only kidding. And evidently the Biden people were not happy. But we never see the Biden people. We never see Susan Rice. We never see – almost never see Ron Klein. We don't see anyone making any major decisions there. Who who is making decisions with this with this administration? I mean, do you see the Secretary of Defense with a lot of power? I don't. Do you see the Secretary of State maybe with a lot of power? Well, we see him the most. I would
10: say probably yeah uh, of the whole group. Obviously, given what's going on, we see Blinken a lot. Asserting
3: policy though.
10: Well, I think the problem is that the everyone is scrambling for what the policy is with regard to Ukraine. They don't they want it to go away. They want to keep feeding them just enough to say that we're helping, but not enough to make sure that they win and you know, just While historically, that. that's always going to be a very difficult place to live in, and it's it's unlikely to be successful. We've watched so many wars that we've been through since World War II that we've been involved in, in one way or another as a country, that end that way. Um, you either have to be in or you have to be out. And you're, if you're out, then make your case for why you're out. If you're in, make your case for why you're in. The middle is a tough place to be.
3: Right. Um, when we come back, Martha's going to tell us who's going to be on her show, uh, and then we're going to find out if there's indeed more to know. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
11: In an exclusive interview with Action News Jax, the mayor is speaking out after Fox & Friends host Brian Kilmeade took some shots at the city last week. Action News Jax, Kennedy Dendy joins us live from City Hall. Kennedy, Brian Kilmeade said the city is a mess and needs to be revitalized.
12: That's right. Just a couple hours ago, I asked Mayor Curry about those tough words by Kilmeade on the national news show. As Mayor Curry puts it, the city has come a long way. And he invites those skeptical to come see the progress up close. And he assures critics that so much more is in store. I
9: invite them to come see our projects that are billion plus dollar projects that are under review. I'd love to show somebody around, whether it be one of the hosts or a producer. For someone that's a part of any one of the shows. I think it'd be great. and I think they would be impressed.
12: Mayor Curry believes Kilmeade's words were due to a lack of context.
9: So if you're someone that hasn't
1: spent time in our city, you don't understand where we were and how far we've come.
3: So I made a casual comment. Martha McCallum here. Um, I made a casual comment on the couch. We saw a shot Jacksonville, which I know the area quite well. And WOKV listeners know I'm there all the time. And I see the city of Jacksonville is not good. The one area overlooking the water, the landing, got taken down, too much gang activity, people being shot. Murders hit a high, a high in 2021. And if you go to a Jacksonville Jaguars game, you drive down this road, this may be two sports bars. The rest are empty hulks mm-hmm. of stores. Mm-hmm. They're going to lose their their football team. So I made that comment. And this created such uproar within the city because they say, what he just said, we have a lot of, pro, program, uh, we have a lot of programs on the books, things we're looking to develop. You got the richest owner in football owns the stadium right down the road from you, and you have been unable to make any type of deal with the area. So, are you? Uh, I'm amazed at this. They say, "Well, why, everyone's moving to Florida?" Okay, that doesn't mean that Jacksonville is safe.
10: Well, I think they should. I think they should listen to you, honestly. I mean, they really should work to develop the city, and if that's what they're trying to do, um, then I wish them luck. So, I guess everybody's moving to Southern Florida. Right. Is that, is that, I mean, that that that's what's happening, well, right? And Jacksonville's not really Jacksonville's not really benefiting from it. And what's their leadership like? Why have they not been able to, you know, crack down on crime and not have to take down? Right. These uh, yeah. Structures that draw tourists.
3: Yeah. So evidently, this being big deal, and I just think it has got enormous potential. It's got all these rivers, these beautiful bridges going into the stadium. That's how they got the team, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. For, I don't know where this money's going. But uh, in Ponte Vedra, in those areas where the players' championship is is as beautiful as beautiful. any place in the country, yeah. then you have St Augustine right in the area you're drawing from, and you have um, uh, Amelia Island, which this is this is as as rich area as you will find it's certainly historic. so find a way to get that money and rebuild that city. or you're going to lose your football team
10: Because you care, you care about Jacksonville, don't you right? Ryan? I do yes. I, I can do. see that.
3: But I was amazed at how th- do you believe how thin-skinned yeah. this is story is still going on?
10: Well. You know, um, that that's when change happens.
3: We'll see. Who's on your show?
10: So we're going to talk to um, VDH. We're going to talk to Victor Davis Hanson. We're going to talk to Oleksandr Doniluk, who is the former finance minister in Ukraine, about these new sanctions that are being proposed. I think about $21 billion went into Russia's pockets in oil exports from from the EU just over the past several weeks so he's has he has no problem funding this war he might have problems with his personnel uh, but he has no problem with money right now and that's that would need, need to be addressed so we'll talk to him about that Ted Cruz is going to talk to us about what's going on at the border which is just an unbelievable if this if Ukraine were not such a huge story we would be covering this all the time, because it's unbelievable what is about to happen at the border.
3: So l- let's look at the border first. By the way, uh, great. I think that France is they're calling for a ban on oil, uh, Russian coal, right. and oil, but and not Poland natural gas. Yeah, yeah. And Lithuania and so trying of the to wean countries.
10: themselves gradually.
3: And it's all about Germany right now, and their decisions that they made with I think it's they gave Schroeder up everything, and Merkel. Right,
10: they give up their nuclear power plants. They give up everything. They get it all in them- Russia's pocket. And now they're like, oops
3: which is Bad if there, if there's president of the United States was a true leader and not a partisan he'd be like we have to find a way to get natural gas uh and and fulfill uh Germany's needs
10: gee how would we do that where could we find um huge stores of natural gas so There's a chance now
3: for a bipartisan—I don't even know. Give me a second. I just don't have enough time. (laughs) Uh, Let's think about the Democrats, and even though it might be lip service. Mark Kelly says, leave Title 42 in place. Right. Senator Tester, leave uh, Project 42 in place. Henry Cuellar, leave it in place. Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema. So they say, leave it in place. I think Gonzalez, also a Democrat, leave this in place. Not the time to lift it up. Instead, uh, Catholic charities, NGOs, Jewish groups are all taking the government money— getting these migrants fresh sets of clothes and their phones and getting their buses and sending them across America. There's no other country this idiotic.
10: No, I know. I I think that every time I see these buses going and letting people off, it's unbelievable that that's the system that we have. Cross the border illegally, get on a bus, and be sent to another part of the country.
3: Please let the voters speak out on this.